guys, welcome to Love Update, your favorite weekly podcast where we read and discuss stories of love, from harrowing Tinder tales to failed friendversaries to soulmates and everything in between. Oh my gosh, Shayna, that was our first episode. We're here. <laughs> We're doing here. this. And I'm so excited. I just, I, I feel like our listeners are really going to like this episode. I, feel like I it's think so gonna, too. It's going to slap, as the kids would say. <laughs> as they say these days. <laughs> This episode, since it's our first one, um, is going to be a little bit different because um, we're going to be explaining sort of how each episode's going to going to work from here on out. Yeah. So on every episode, the first segment is going to be August and I talking to each other about one of the New York Times thirty six questions that lead to love. Um, and this week's question is: Given the choice of anyone in the world, who do you want as a dinner guest? Oh wow! I feel like I should have thought about what my answer was going to be before. Okay, well, that's sort of a basic answer, but given the choice of literally anybody, anybody, it would obviously be Michelle Obama. That's what I was gonna say too, but that's the most basic it's answer. It's the most basic ever. answer, but it's the most basic answer because she is like amazing, the people's woman. You know what I mean? Like everyone wants to have her over for dinner, but you have to pick someone else. Well, in my, like, sad desperation six weeks <laughs> since winter break, I would say my mom, because I miss my mom a lot, <laughs> but that's a silly answer, because no, I can perfect. literally eat dinner with my mom in two weeks, so... Yeah, but that, that's great, because she is anyone in the world. She, I mean, she is a person she's in a person. this world. She's a person in this world right now. I think. You should text her after this. I will do that. <laughs> okay, so why don't we go ahead and introduce the week's topic, um, so as we announced on our Facebook page, the first topic that we're going to be discussing is dating apps. Woo! Yay! I feel like dating apps get this weird reputation at, especially in colleges, where it's like, everyone knows everyone's doing it because everyone's seen everyone on them, yeah. but no one acknowledges it in real life. Yeah. And oh, it's still yeah. like oh, yeah. a little bit shameful to like open your Tinder app on your phone or something yeah. like that. You know what, actually though, I have seen people like swiping full on in public, like sitting in a library in a place where everyone can see your phone. And, and did you know that there is a desktop version of Tinder? Like you can swipe No. Online. And I have seen someone in Bath Library on the desktop Tinder. Desktop Tinder. Wow. Yeah. That's a statement. Yeah. And honestly, I'm not even mad about it. Yeah. So as we know, Tinder and desktop Tinder are not the only dating apps. Um, the story this week features Grindr. This week's story was submitted anonymously, and it's about one man's experience on Grindr back in high school and what it means to him in retrospect. It's read by my dear, dear friend Gilbert Sines, who will be starring in Man of La Mancha this upcoming April in the Whitney Theater. This is Dating Apps, read by Gilbert. Two hours on Grinder changed me. Not in a sexual way or a physical way. No. My brief stint on Grinder was one of unexpected personal growth. Of course, I must admit that on an app marketed only as a forum for hookups, this seemingly unnatural, even impossible outcome was far from my expectations. Even my internal intentions were unclear, both at the time and in retrospect. 
Most likely, my spur-of-the-moment decision to download an app demeaned as a cesspool by many stemmed from my desire to become comfortable with my sexuality instead of silently resigned to it. With this goal hidden somewhere in my mind, I first logged on while away on vacation in Colorado, emboldened by the physical separation from my hometown. Instantly, I was met with a grid full of profile pictures of nearby users. The photos were largely impersonal, mainly images of perfect abs with the occasional face poking through. A few profiles looked like mine, a dark gray avatar in lieu of a photo. Most of the time, this level of disguise was accompanied by discreet in the caption, a word count conscious way of saying in the closet. I chose to remain captionless, even though such a caption would have accurately described me. Clicking on an image brought up the full profile with the option to start a conversation. I elected to look around without considering messaging anyone. Nonetheless, with only my age to entice users, messages quickly began to slide into my inbox. I decided to humor their authors with responses. So here I was, instantly launched into conversations, if they can even be called that, with a dozen strangers, each with his own way of breaching my bubble of solitude. Some quips were clever, albeit dripping with desperation. Others went straight to their point and were blocked in return. Most, however, were so painfully drab. A hey or what's up, so basic that they seemed normal. For a confused 18-year-old, this did not seem like a place for embarking on a journey of identity formation. It was a sensory overload, a grid full of toned abs and big promises of love and companionship with little meaning beyond luring users to bed. And even hiding behind the comfort found in the anonymity of blank profile, my past constrained me. I felt exiled in my hometown in conservative Alabama following the 2016 presidential election. The red hats and white shirts bouncing through the halls of my school on November 9th, warning that I must maintain my facade or face derision. I felt tethered to a community that was permissive of an overtly feminist bashing club who would encircle unsuspecting activists, even teachers, and harass them. I felt judged by the ornate pulpit that screamed to my unknowing friends and family that I was immoral and ungodly right under the cross of mercy. Among the barrage of six-packs that greeted me, few could stand out. Nonetheless, I slowly combed through the lack of faces, amusedly drifting in and out of conversation before becoming disgusted, or bored, or tired, and leaving to perform my familial duties. Forced to be social and go out with good company, I would devour a hamburger, dripping with some concoction of the chef's passion and too much mayonnaise, or meander through an art gallery, offering profoundly sarcastic remarks. One such activity forced me to sit at dinner with old family friends, an overly kind way of describing a family we knew who also happened to be vacationing nearby. The conversation at the meal was bland, a blend of hubbub about how university was going, which frat the son had rushed, and what wine the mother should drink. Meaningless chatter. That night found me back in the game. 
After dinner, a new face appeared in my messages. Well, more likely five new faces, but only one that seemed bearable. This man, Tom, told me his story, more or less. That he had just gotten in from school, that he was now out with a fraternity brother hitting the town, that a friend of that same brother had tagged along. My reaction quickly turned from interest to anxiety to full-on panic as I realized that Tom was out with my biological brother and our family friend while messaging me. My real, closeted world that I thought I had left behind in Alabama was colliding with the open fantasy land of Grindr. My feeling of anonymity shattered, even if he was unaware of our connection. And with it, a familiar wave of repression rushed over me. I recalled my years of mental gymnastics, locking thoughts out of awareness, rationalizing that they were part of a phase, even singing songs in my head to silence the cries of my true identity. But now, these thoughts were front and center in my consciousness, spurred on by the alarming possibility that my tangible world might forever fuse with this sandbox for self-discovery. This shock brought any consideration of exploration to a temporary end. For a day or so, I stepped away, only to be quickly pushed back to the app by the boredom with the monotony of my vacation. Upon return, I quickly realized that I hadn't missed much. Few new faces appeared or conversations began. I chose, perhaps out of desperation, to return to old conversations that I had previously dismissed. One such chat stuck out to me, not because of an abundance of wit or kindness, but for a far more trivial reason. We shared a name. At first, the conversation was normal. A lot of, hey, what's up, and not much, I'm watching TV, and other equally bland topics. I did learn a few things, however. That he was a 21-year-old Australian, that he was here for a wedding, and that he was nearly as confused as I. The biographical information kept me interested enough. I plunged on, and at 15 minutes, this conversation had already stretched longer than any other to date. As the night wore on and tiredness crept in, I became more blunt and emotional in my questions. I pressed him on his future and how he could live an unlimited life in a prejudiced world. He retorted with his support structure, his kind and joyful friends who had enabled him to become openly gay. I pestered about family, the word alternative ringing in my ears. He told me of his dreams of marriage, of a normal life with another man. My stomach churned as I recalled the assurances of schoolyard bullies that normal was incompatible with our lives. He continued, speaking of love and relationships as any deeply romantic thinker would. I sat, quietly shaking in my bedroom of the rental house, uneasy from so directly discussing the continuing worries of my childhood. I took a pause and a shower, slipping away for a few moments of thought in my most serene place. That night, the hot droplets felt different, like a bath of tears 
instead of a warm, inviting blanket. In my home of free association, I felt constrained to a singular line of thinking, that of the questions that had haunted me for years. I couldn't shake it. I returned to our conversation. He elaborated on each of his previous proclamations, slowly breaking down the walls I had built over my 18 years of life. I too want a family, I explained. He smiled and painted a merry picture of his future household. Two loving fathers and their overly optimistic children all living under the roof of a stable home. But I want biological kids, I protested. He assuaged my fears with his similar desire and the promises and realities of modern science. He met each problem I presented with the obvious solution, or at least an assurance that I wasn't alone. As my drowsiness became unbearable, I drifted off into sleep, content with my connection, yet unsure of what the next day would look like. I haven't talked to him since. In the days and weeks that passed, I found myself reflecting more and more on what didn't happen than what did. I never met him. I never heard his voice. I never told him my biggest fear of all. That being different meant that I couldn't live the ideal life I had dreamed of. I always hesitate to give Grinder any recognition in this interaction, crediting the crazy, hormone-driven app with real self-acceptance seems inaccurate and unbelievable. And perhaps I'm right. Timothy is the one who reassured me and joked with me. Yet, I can't change the fact that only through Grinder's anonymity could I become comfortable with losing the very secrecy that it provides. for reading that. That was absolutely amazing. Um, why don't you introduce yourself? Yeah. Um, hi, I'm Gilbert Sines. I'm a senior in Styles College, and I'm super excited to be here. We're so glad that you're here. I mean, honestly, that, I was so moved throughout, like, that entire <laughs> I thing. I had goosebumps the whole thing. time. <laughs> exactly. Um, so why don't you tell us a little bit about what parts of the story you connected with, what this sort of means to you, what resonated with you? Yeah. I think Grinder is a really interesting topic. It's a very specific environment. Mm. And, um, you know, reading this story of someone who was 18, kind of launching themselves into that, coming from a conservative space as a means of exploration like really resonated I think a lot with my own experiences Mm -hmm. and what it's like when you come from a conservative background and are perhaps closeted or not comfortable or unsure about your sexuality Mm -hmm. and then suddenly it's like the world opens up and even though that happens there is always that fear Mm -hmm. you know that the the author kind of talks about a fear of being discovered the fear of your world's merging. Yeah. Um, so that was really that was really gripping for me because it it spoke a lot to my own experience, like coming out or like being comfortable in my own sexuality. Like, mm-hmm. what does that mean when you're f- scared of blending those two worlds that yeah. should be one? Yeah. I think one of the things that was most moving to me about this was that I think when we think about dating apps, we sort of think about them in a very narrow way, mm-hmm. where it's you go on this app and you're finding someone to have this fast flashing experience but I think the idea of it turning into a device of self-acceptance is 
really, really sort of subverts the dialogue around dating apps in general. It almost seems like the author has more volition in like taking back this app for like a personal mm -hmm. purpose and that like seemed really moving in the story. At the end of the day, you're dealing with people seeking a connection, whether it be for a night, whether it's mm -hmm. forever, but um, there's that desire. It's an 18 year old gay man who's like first encountering this world. And it's it's so important to us to remember that there is there is a need for connection within all communities. Yeah. You know, we scoff at Grindr, but it's filled with people who all are trying to gain something. Yeah. It does sort of feel like a game at times. Mm -hmm. You hear the chime yeah, when yeah, absolutely. you match with someone or you're just sort of swiping past people, yeah. but there are actual individuals behind those and the people you're having conversations with aren't just messages appearing on a screen. They're actual human beings. Every person who has a profile went through some similar process. Mm. Um, and there's ego attached to that and there's there's love attached to that. And it's... I don't know, I've, I've, I always feel a little uncomfortable when dating apps are just kind of discounted mm -hmm. um, because that is kind of like our modern equivalent to dating. You know, there are people who are also undergoing their own stories. And sometimes if we give that a chance, it can change our own. Mm -hmm. Not always, but there are those moments of just like divine connection. Yeah. And I think that's what we seek over and over again. No matter how fast that is um, and how short-lived, like it's a microcosm or a version of like all the experiences that we have with other people here. Like there are people who you interact with once and you don't want to talk to them anymore. <laughs> and there are also people who you like super randomly meet and become like your best friend for either four years or many more after. And I think that, that this story really just shows that like all of those are equally as valid mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. we experience them all every day. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree with that. Um, Gilbert, who is one person you want to send some love to? Anybody? Yeah, anybody. I'm going to send a lot of love to my best friend, Abby Burgess, who has been ill this week and and needs some of that. Needs so I'm just that. sending a whole Amazing. bunch of love her way. Abby, we're sending all of our love. Thank you so, so much, Gilbert, for being here. No, this thank has been you for amazing. having me. Yeah, thank you so much. I'm Shayna. I'm August. And I'm Gilbert. And this has been Love Update. Love Update is grateful for the theme music provided by Lee Rosevere at Happy Puppy Records. We're also thankful for the tech support provided by the Yale Daily News. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and email us with any questions, comments, or submissions at loveupdateyale at gmail.com.